We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Just so happens this morning that I am concluding the series on spiritual disciplines, and we're talking about giving. Fourteen times, I counted it, fourteen times in my pickup going to and from Houston, once someone would say, what are you preaching on Sunday? And Danny would say, tithing. He's talking about tithing again. Fourteen times I counted, all right? I, I make sure that was accurate. But I'm here not to talk to you about tithing. I'm talk to you, here to talk to you about having a giving heart. And understanding how when we receive the greatest gift ever offered, Jesus Christ, it changes our entire being. It changes our outlook. It changes who we are from the inside out. So look with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The words of Jesus... And he says these things, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to put this up from the NIV if you would please. I didn't tell you that earlier, but... Give me these scriptures from the NIV, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is what Paul says. Moreover, brethren, and I'm, let me read this from the NIV, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. When I read these two passages of Scripture, I recognize that the folks in the Macedonian churches, 500 miles northwest of Jerusalem, actually understood what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. They understood that we have the opportunity to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. If you're not familiar with the background of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul is actually taking an offering, raising money for the mother church back in Jerusalem. Jerusalem in that area was in a severe famine, had been for a number of years. People were starving. Not only that, but the church was heavily persecuted. People who had converted to Christianity had lost their jobs, lost their homes, lost their ability to earn a living. And so Paul is appealing to the churches that he and Barnabas and Silas had planted to invest back into that mother church, to take an offering to send to them to help meet their need. And he's talking to the Corinthians and he says to them, as you read those two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you started well, so let's make sure we finish well. Oh, there's a whole nother sermon in that, folks. We need to understand it's one thing to start, it's another thing to finish. You and I have to keep our eyes on the finish line and determine we're going to finish what God has called us to do. I am so thrilled that last week I was able to tell you that we have reached a new loan approval with our lender. You remember that in 2016, they said if you'll pay $250,000 against your principal by April 10th of 2017, we'll set up an AB loan structure. The A loan being $10 million, the B loan being $3 million. And if you service the A loan for a year, we'll write off that $3 million. Well, we jumped all over that, remember? 
And you were so faithful, we raised that quarter of a million dollars, paid it against the principal. God was good. But then they pulled in, gotcha. And they said, because you had such a great 2016, we're not going to honor that agreement. We think you can pay all $13 million. And at that time, we called foul, hired an attorney, and began fighting this thing. Eight months later, eight months later, we finally received a loan approval. And that loan approval not only calls for writing off $3 million, it calls for writing off $3.4 million. Come on, we finish what we start. We finish what we start. You got to keep your eye on the price. Paul said you started well, but you're not finishing. So in order to encourage the church at Corinth to finish what they started, he gives them an example of the churches in Macedonia. And when you read that passage of Scripture, he says things like, out of their extreme poverty, weld up a rich generosity. That's a powerful statement when you stop to think about it. Because in America today, we say, I don't have anything, so you should give me something. In America today, we have created an entitlement mentality. And that's completely and totally against the principles of the Scripture. Let me tell you something. If you're a born-again believer, you've already received the greatest gift ever given to mankind. And with that gift of salvation and eternal life, you've received the power, the ability, the anointing through the Holy Spirit to see every situation in your life resolved by the power of God. That's why I had Tom sing that song one more time. He's fighting for us. He's working in our behalf. Oh, come on, folks. You may see nothing but darkness ahead of you today, but I've got news for you. The God you serve is working in the darkness, and He's about to reveal to you the answer you've been seeking and desiring. It's time for us to recognize we can't quit. We can't stop. There is no place to not finish what God has called us to do. So Paul uses the Macedonians as an example. Matter of fact, let me read verse 8, or excuse me, verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 from the message. This is the way Eugene Peterson translates it. He says, fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, speaking of the Macedonian churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy though desperately poor. You see, so many times we say, well, I have nothing, I'm unhappy, I need help. Oh, come on, it's time for America to take a lesson from the Macedonians and to recognize if we have Jesus, that really is enough. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? He's talking about your food, your clothing, your shelter. You don't have to worry about that if you're putting God first in your life. But if you don't put God first in your life, oh, come on, somebody, get ready. If you're putting the government first in your life, and if you're waiting on a handout from Uncle Sam, if you're putting your family first, and you're waiting on them to give you a handout and keep you going, if you're looking to the church, expecting the church to pay your bills, you're looking at the wrong place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You'll have food to eat. You'll have clothes to wear. You'll have a roof over your head. Do you realize we translate that into our culture? 
That means your utility bills are going to be paid. There's going to be gas in your car. You're going to be able to get to and from work. By the way, go get a job. Or I'll say it again. Go get a job. Don't come complaining to me that you don't have anything when you're too stinking lazy to work. I understand there are circumstances where people can't work. But I'm here to tell you we need to get to work. God expects us to do that. So we need to understand when we put Him first and He becomes our source, every need in our life is met and satisfied. We are not, the church, Christian heritage is not our source. We understand that. If we go bankrupt today, God still takes care of Stephen Yvonne Dow. Because that's His promise to us. You need to understand that as well. This is what the churches of Macedonia actually got. They grasped it. They practiced it. They applied it out of their extreme poverty, welled up a rich generosity. The pressure from the outside triggered something on the inside that was not normal. Hear me this morning. When Jesus Christ is in your life, when you're living for Him, when He's first and foremost, regardless of the pressure from the outside, some different reaction will come on the inside. It may be the normal human reaction to be mad, to be angry, to be depressed, to be, feel sorry for yourself. But if you're living with Christ first and foremost in your life, when the pressures come, when the winds howl, when the storms rage, then you can say, I know my God is able to deliver me. I know my God will see me through. That's what I love Luann in the video. Luann said, we didn't have any more money. We couldn't put any doors in our house. We couldn't put up the trim, the baseboard. We had no more money. But we kept praying. Why? Because God was first in our life. You know what that lady did? We went the first day and uh, the team brought us a sack lunch. And it was a dry... ham sandwich. No mayonnaise, no mustard, just dry. Slapped together on two pieces of stale bread. There's a little bitty tiny bag of chips and two Oreo cookies. And they weren't even the thick Oreos, they were the thin ones. That's what we had for lunch the first day. The second day, Luann said, I'm cooking for you. And she fixed brisket and sausage and baked potatoes and homemade brownies. Why? Because something happened inside of her and she wanted to give back to us. Oh, come on, folks, hear me. When you receive the greatest gift of all time, something happens inside of you and you want to give back. You have a giving heart rather than a getting heart. And it's amazing what God begins to do in and through your life. Well, we left that, that house finished on Wednesday. Thursday, Luann showed up at the next job site. We're putting a roof on a house. And she brought enough food to feed all three teams that were there working. And that day it was some kind of Italian stuff. I don't even know what that cup is. Ziti. My wife knows all of that. And salad and bread and wonderful desserts again. All because we had given to her, she gave back to us. Do you understand the principle I'm trying to teach you this morning? When we understand the gift that we have received, our natural reaction will be to give back. Look at that scripture one more time in verse 2. Notice this oxymoron. Paul said their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That doesn't even make sense, does it? 
How from extreme poverty can there be rich generosity? Something we don't understand in our natural mind. But when Jesus has touched our lives and changed us, then we begin to understand. You remember when Jesus was sitting by the offering box in the temple? All the rich people came and put in their money. And then a little widow lady came and she threw in her two little copper coins. What did he say? He said, she's given more than all of these. Why? Because out of her extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. I want that phrase to stick with you this morning. I want you to write it on the tablets of your heart. From their extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. I'm here to tell you today, it's not about what you have. It's not about what you keep. It's about what you give. From your extreme poverty can well up rich generosity. Look at verses 3 and 4. It's interesting that Paul said these words, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded, pleaded with us for the privilege of giving. Now, if you're dirt poor, and they were dirt poor, if you don't have two nickels to rub together, and they didn't, why would you plead for the opportunity to give to somebody else? Because they understood there is a spiritual principle at play. And that spiritual principle is if I put God first, if I invest in God's kingdom, then God will meet the needs of my life. It's not giving to get. Don't mistake that. It's not giving to get. It's giving because we have already received. It's giving because we are rich. We have been blessed beyond measure. The Macedonians gave in spite of their poverty. So the question is, how do we be like them? How can we give more than we are actually able to do? Well, verse 5 tells us they first gave themselves to God. You see, if you're in this room this morning and you haven't made a commitment to Jesus Christ and allow Him to come into your heart and your life, none of what I'm saying makes a bit of sense at all. Matter of fact, it's very contrary to your philosophy and to the things you believe. But once you receive the greatest gift ever offered to mankind, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, having your sins washed away, having your life changed, having your name written in the Lamb's book of life, and knowing that when I die, I'm going to spend eternity with God forever and ever, ever. When that happens, God begins changing you from the inside out. Your attitudes begin to change. The selfishness begins to die away. And you begin to realize... Maybe I can do more than I ever thought I could for the kingdom of God. So we understand we can only do that when we first give ourselves to God. You see, giving is absolutely meaningless. It's just a guilt trip or a duty if we're doing it outside of giving ourselves to God. But when we give ourselves to God, it means we begin to care about the same things God cares about. What's important to God becomes important to me. You realize it's important to God that 10,000 people every hour are slipping into eternity without a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's important to God. Vital to God. You realize it's important to God when people are suffering and hurting and the church does nothing to address their pain. That's important to God. You realize it's important to God that we have 20 kids in this region who don't have families and they're eligible for adoption. That's important to God. And I applaud those of you in this room who are foster parents, who are adoptive parents, who have stepped up and met that need. Yvonne and I would do it if I was just 10 years younger. 
Matter of fact, on Main Street today, somebody said to me, with her standing beside you, how did you get such a young wife? I know. She looks like she's Miss Keturah again. Her kids are something else. Taylor and Alexis, they were going home the other night after church. And Alexis, or Taylor says, Pastor has a lot of gray hair. I got some news for you this morning. It's platinum highlights. All right. And Taylor, Alexis says to Taylor, Alexis is the older one, well, duh, Pastor 60. Taylor says, Yvonne doesn't have, doesn't have gray hair. Well, yeah, she's only 30-something from the mouth of babes. I can't win for losing. They tell me every time I turn around how old I am and how young she is. We'll never tell them the truth, will we, baby? Absolutely. It's going to die with me. It'll go to the grave. It's going to be my secret. You see, when we give ourselves to God, I don't know how I got off on that, but here we go. We begin to think like God thinks. We care about the things God cares about. We're concerned about what concerns Him. And then we become generous like God is generous. Generous like God is generous. You see, we understand that we've given ourselves to God when generosity is not a lifestyle, excuse me, becomes a lifestyle, and it's not a financial principle to get more for us. We understand that when it's a lifestyle, not a financial principle for our benefit. So how do we know if we're generous? Well, ask yourself, have I ever stayed behind to help a co-worker complete a project? Maybe you're generous. Have I ever given up my lunch break to help somebody else do something for them? Maybe I'm generous. Have I ever went down and got that crotchety old man three doors down and took him to the doctor because he didn't have a ride? Maybe I'm generous. Have I ever mowed the neighbor's yard when they're on vacation and didn't leave a note on the door to tell them I mowed their yard? Maybe I'm generous. Have I ever left the last piece of coconut cream pie for somebody else to eat? Maybe I'm generous. You see, all those things deal with things that are not monetary. And if you find yourselves doing things that don't have a monetary exchange, not for your benefit, but for someone else's, the seeds of generosity are already in your heart. You just need to water them and sow them and let them come about in you. Secondly, we recognize that biblical giving is motivated by grace. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is what Paul says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sakes He became poor. That you, through His poverty, might become rich. Why did Jesus come? Because God had grace on you and me. Because God saw us in a condition that we could not remedy. He saw us in a place that we could not fix or cure. And He sent His only Son to die for you and I. That's motivated by grace. It's only as I appreciate God's grace to me that my heart will be changed to a generous, giving heart. It's only when I understand what He's done that I'm able to then imitate Him. We've all heard pleas for money that were based on guilt, right? Well, what kind of a Christian are you if you don't give to this cause? That's guilt. Don't fall for that trap, all right? We've all heard uh, pleas for giving that were based on compulsion. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, don't fall to that. We've all heard pleas for giving that are based on pride. Jesus tells us in 6, 1 through 4, not to fall for that. On and on we can go in terms of the motivation for giving. Talk about obligation. We can talk about recognition. 
Listen, if you'll give $1,000, we're going to put your name on the end of that seat and it will be there forever. Not, not going to happen. Recognition. We can talk about pride, compulsion, obligation, guilt, greed. But none of those are good reasons to give. The reason we give is because we've received the grace of God. And the grace of God's made a change in you and me. Aren't you glad you can say today, I'm not the same person today that I was yesterday. Well, let me take it a little further. You can say today, I'm not the same person at 11.35 on Sunday morning that I was at 10.35 on Sunday morning because I've received some more grace in this place today. I've received something from God in this place today. I sang it and I mean it. Oh, how He loves you and me. Tom, will you come back? We understand what God's doing in our lives. And then number three, real giving and a willingness to give is motivated by our heart and the willingness of our heart. Paul recognized that even for the Corinthian church, this thing was a stretch. It was a reach. But he also knew that when we receive Jesus, God plants in every one of us the seeds of generosity. What we need in order to trust Him is already there. Sometimes we fail to respond. We fail to respond because of fear for what we might lose, because of fear that we don't have enough, because of fear we may have to give up something we enjoy. But if God really implanted it in us, those fears leave. And with an overflowing joy, just like the Macedonians, we become generous in our giving to those around us and to the kingdom. Edie grew up in Washington State. In 1946, she was living with her two sisters and her mother... Her mother was a widow. Her dad had died in World War II. One Sunday, actually a month before Christmas, Edie's pastor said, we're going to receive a special offering on Easter Sunday morning for a poor family in our church. I want all of you to go home, pray about what you're going to do, and start saving your money to give in this offering. So when they got home that day, they began talking about what they could do to give in this offering. Remember, mom and three girls, no dad in the house, he's dead. They began talking about what they could do. The first thing they said is, we can buy 50 pounds of potatoes, and we can live on those potatoes for the whole month, and we'll save $20 on a grocery bill, and we can put that in the offering. They began to talk a little more, and they said, well, we can keep our electricity and our lights cut off as much as necessary. We cannot listen to the radio, and we can save money on our electric bill and give that in the offering. And then Edie says that they went out and got every job they could. They cleaned houses, they washed clothes, they ironed clothes. They babysat as much as they could. And every night when they would come in, they'd sit down around the table and they'd count and see how much money they'd made that day. She made this statement, it was the greatest month of our life. The greatest month of our life. So on the Saturday before Easter, Edie and her sister went down to the grocery store and they took all the money they had made in that month and had the manager cash it in for crisp bills. He gave them three brand new $20 bills, one brand new $10 bill. And they went home so excited that they got to participate in this offering on Sunday morning. And when the offering came on Sunday morning, each one of those three girls put in a brand new $20 bill. And their mama put in a brand new $10 bill. 
They went home, they were rejoicing, they were excited, they were happy. They had done something great. When they got home, their mama surprised them because she had bought a dozen eggs. And so for Easter dinner, they had boiled eggs and fried potatoes. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? And they were just delighted. They were happy, overjoyed with what they'd been able to do. Later in the afternoon, the pastor drove up, drove up in front of their house, knocked on the door. Mama went to the door, talked for a few minutes. When she came back in, she had an envelope in her hand. The girl said, what was that all about? The mother didn't say a word. She just turned the envelope over and out fell a bunch of money. Three brand new $20 bills, one brand new $10 bill, and 17 $1 bills. Edie wrote these words. We couldn't believe it. We just sat there and stared at the floor. We went from feeling like millionaires to being poor. She said all that week they went to school and came home. They didn't talk much because they never realized they were poor. Finally, on Saturday, the mother said to them, what are we going to do with this money? And Edie wrote, we didn't know what to do with the money. We didn't even know we were poor. What do poor people do with money? So the next Sunday morning at church, they had a missionary from Africa. And he was telling them how the Africans would make blocks of clay and dry them in the sun and build their churches, but they didn't have money for roofs. And for just a hundred dollars, they could put a roof on a church. All of a sudden, smiles broke out in those four women. Mama took the envelope out of her purse and passed it down to the end of the youngest daughter. When the offering came by, she dropped that envelope in. A few minutes later, the pastor came back and said, you're not going to believe this, but the offering today was just a little over $100. The missionary then stood up and said, I just can't believe this. You must have some really rich people in your church to be able to give $100. Remember, 1946. Edie said, in that moment, we realized we were rich. And I've never felt poor again for a day in my life. Why? Because they learned to give. And they realized they gave $87 out of that offering that was a little over $100 from the poorest people in the church. Folks, I've come to challenge you today and help you realize when we buy in, when we accept, when we believe and embrace the principles of the Word of God that clearly teach us how we give into the kingdom, then God helps us to break the mentality that says, I'm poverty-stricken, I'm poor, I don't have anything, and we come to the place where we say, I'm the richest guy on the planet. I've got more than anybody else. Not because of what's in my bank account, but because of what's in my heart. Because of the grace of God that has changed me and the hope of God that is alive in me. You see, we begin to understand as Edie and her family as the Macedonians did, that true wealth is not measured by what we keep. It's measured by what we give. So when we understand God's laws of economics, we understand we're never without. We never run short. Because the master of the universe already said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All its righteousness and all these things shall be granted unto you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. True wealth 
is not measured by what we keep. It's measured by what we give. Father, in this room this morning, I've talked to folks. They've heard my voice and your Holy Spirit has been talking to them about their need to accept you as the Lord and Savior. They've never asked you to forgive you of their sins come into their lives. But today is the day they're going to do that. You set this moment up just for them. This moment just for them. So Lord, I pray now that you give them courage and desire to know you as the Lord and Savior, to receive the greatest gift ever offered, the gift of salvation and forgiveness. You're sitting in this room this morning. You say, Steve, you're talking directly to me. I need Jesus to come into my life and forgive me of my sins, to transform me and to make me a child of God. That's you. I'm talking to you. Right where you sit, slip your hand up and say, pray for me. That's me. That's my desire. Yes, ma'am. Others across the room this morning, hold your hand up for just a second. Let me see it and acknowledge it. We're going to pray for you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Others. Yes, others. I need Jesus in my heart and in my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to receive the greatest gift ever given. So wait another moment. Just slip that hand up and let me see it. Pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. Anyone else? Everybody stand to your feet with me across this room. In just a moment, Tom's going to lead us in that great song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. And as he begins to sing, if you raised your hand, if you're one of those four or five, or maybe you should have and you didn't, this is still okay. Then I want you to simply step out and come. Remember, Jesus died on a cross for you, publicly, humiliated for you. All you need to do is come and we're going to pray with you. So as Tom begins to sing, if that's you, step out and come. You raised your hand. I'm going to meet you right here. We're going to pray together. Come on this morning as Tom sings it. Oh, how he loves you and me. I'll wait. I'm waiting for you. Come on. Come on. Praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.